Alone 2, Home Alone 2. It's the greatest film in history. See what I did there? I got it out of the way at the beginning of the show. Well, you're going to have to get another one at the end well, because we missed a couple. I okay, think. so I'll try and get as many in as I possibly can. Right. But So that's the yeah. first one. Okay. I'll keep tabs you keep as tabs. along. Notice yeah. how I did it to the theme of the Flintstones? Yes. Okay, good. Very clever. Thank you. I'm glad we, I'm glad we have these things. So. Yeah. Anyway... Welcome to How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the OSA Foundation Incorporated. Yours truly, Jack, for along with you as we talk to you about what's going on in the world of sportsmanship. This is the first episode of the month of August. The year is 2018. Happy that you can join us. Across the way, the producer engineer, Mr. Sean Ryan. What up? The ceiling. Nice. You see? I see yeah. You get it? That was, that was almost as good as the Flintstones Home Alone 2 reference. No, it wasn't. No? Okay. It's been used so much before. Oh, just... well. You, you said it could have... Let me try that again in English. You could have just said the sky. But I that's, could. But that's kind of the played out one. Yeah. You know, the ceiling infers the potential for cracks that have to be fixed before they get painted. Is that speaking from personal experience? Yes. Oh. Well, I'm doing great. Okay. I'm glad you could be here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, we got a lot to get to today in a very short amount of time. So let's just hop right in and get to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget to uh, contact the show. The email address is podcast at osipfoundation.org, facebook.com slash osipfoundation, and Twitter at osipfoundation, hashtag how you play the game. Uh, be sure to go on the webpage and uh, click on the podcast website where you can uh, submit your own stories for us to consider. Um, Happy that you have that uh, that opportunity because we'd love to get you involved and have you involved as much as we can. This is a you know a, a very interactive show, and uh, if you can continue to send those things in, it would be absolutely fantastic. All right, so first I want to uh, get to something that we talked about on the last episode. You might remember we uh, were talking about the longest streaks for uh, non ejections. Yes. And I, I asked, I said, I think con- I asked about that. Yeah, right? I said I was going to contact Gil about that. So Gil sent me a message. And I think, I, I think what I, how I phrased it to him was, what is the longest streak an, a manager has ever gone without being ejected? And uh, this is what he, what he said. The all-time record is Connie Mack, who was ejected once in 1895, <laughs> which was his second season as a manager, but never again. And he managed consistently until 1950. So that's 50 plus years. Wow. The the 1895 ejection was done by umpire Hank O'Day. For the same team? Was he on the same team? Uh, no, I think he I think he he jumped oh, around a little bit. That's amazing. Yeah. Um resulted in Mac refusing to leave the field until the police were called to remove him. It was the first career ejection for both men who used to play on the same team which was the then Washington Nationals. Hmm. O'Day was a pitcher and Mack was a catcher, where O'Day proceeded to lead the league in 1888 for most hit batsmen. Hmm. Mack went on to record as saying he was so embarrassed by the whole thing that he didn't want it to ever happen again, and it didn't. So, wow. There's the answer. There's a good yeah. that's There's a great sportsmanship story right there. Exactly. Exactly. So our thanks to to Gil for for that. And speaking really of, interesting. Yeah, speaking of Gil, I want to give this a plug too. This is another project of Gil's. So Gil, as you know, Gil Imber, the organist for the Anaheim Ducks, uh, runs the uh, the Umpire Rejection Fantasy League and uh, Close Call Sports. And uh, they have decided to put out their own podcast called The Plate Meeting. Oh. And this this podcast is so fantastic. Um, 
they released their first episode recently. It features Gil and uh, his partner in crime that goes by T-Mac. And uh, they had on their show the guest for over an hour, Balkan Bob Davidson, the retired uh, Major League umpire. And it was, it was a fantastic episode hmm. where, where Bob was just very candid. And you, you get into the, the, the personality of the umpires. You, they, you know, we talk about how we humanize them and mm-hmm. we make them out to be you know, people that you know, you know, put their shoes on one at a time and, and whatnot. I put my shoes on twice at a time. Well, a time. you're a weirdo. <laughs> so I don't know what else to say to that. <laughs> But uh, if you get a chance, it's available on the same uh, same um, avenues that this show is on. Great. Um, they have their second episode coming out, which will feature retired umpire Dale Scott. Oh, yeah. Uh, who's the first openly gay uh, sports official mm-hmm. in uh, the major professional sports. So if you get a chance, subscribe to The Plate Meeting. Uh, it is a great, great show, and I highly recommend it. So now that we've got those out of the way... Let's get into all of the goodies from this past couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going to go in a completely random order, okay? So let's start with a story that I just think is interesting. I don't know if it's necessarily completely bad sportsmanship. I think you could make it that way, but uh, I'll let you decide. Okay, because when you hear about who hear about who it's about and the settings, you'll be like, "Ooh!" And this is not one that I sent you in pre-production, so it's a real surprise. Ooh! Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Oh, great! All right. I'm not going to give you the name until the end of the story. Okay. okay? The story is by Jacqueline Hendricks. Uh, talks about how this baseball player in the clubhouse actually had a very petty habit. Okay. Okay. Padres pitcher Phil Hughes said that this particular teammate would pay off any wager. Ex-Yankee Phil Hughes. Yes. Okay. Would would pay off any bet that this this these guys made in change if he would lose. Quote: He had this thing. He liked to do small little wagers every now and then, but he was such a competitor that if he lost, he would pay you in pennies. So it would be like 100 bucks on something stupid like a college football game that's going on or something. And if he lost, he would literally have a bag of pennies the next day. And it wasn't like a dollar. It was 100 bucks. It's a <laughs> lot of pennies. Um, would you like to guess who he's referring to? It's got to be. It's on someone on the Padres? No. This is, this is um, I'll give you a hint. The player he's referring to is now retired, and it was a teammate of his while he was on the Yankees. Was it one of the core four? Yes, it was. Jorge Posada? Nope. Andy Pettit? Nope. Derek Jeter? Yep. Get out of here. Um, I can't make this up. That's Der- the last person I would think. I know, but according to this, Derek Jeter was so competitive that if he would lose a bet, he would pay it in pennies. <laughs> and quote, quote Phil Hughes, he said here, Hughes said Jeter, now part owner and CEO of the Marlins, 
probably had to send someone to a bank and do a special request to pay you in pennies. That's insane. Isn't it? Isn't it? I think I think the the thing here is, you know, we 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 put some of these athletes up on a pedestal that mm-hmm. they can do no wrong and yet they're just human beings and they have just as much of an opportunity to disappoint us right. as anyone else. Well, I don't think it's so much I mean I have to admit, I think it's kind of funny. It is funny. Um, You know, it sort of reminds me of, I forget what company it was. I think it was Apple and Google had some sort of dispute. And one decided to, or no, it was Samsung. Don't quote me on this. I think it was Samsung and Apple. I think there was some copyright issue or some legal issue that... Samsung had to settle with Apple, and they paid them in truckloads of pennies. Nice in, in the amount nice. of like like billions upon billions of yeah, dollars, something yeah. like that. And I can't remember what it was for or when this was. This might have been like five or six years ago, but I can't remember exactly what it's for. But I, I'd have to look it up. Um, it was. Yeah, now it's bothering me. But anyway, you go. You go ahead. Yeah, the point being that you know at least this was kept in house. It wasn't made very public, which I think is an important thing, but let's play devil's advocate for a second. You know, Derek Jeter is showing qualities of a little bit of a, of a sore loser, mm. you know? So, I mean, I just, I, it just bothers me a little bit because I, I blame myself more for thinking that Jeter could do no wrong. And in a certain, from a certain point of view. It's false. It was a false story. Which one? The, the Samsung paying. Oh, Apple. really? Okay. Yeah. So um, now you feel like an idiot. I really do. <laughs> but that's a really funny story, nonetheless. But it is, it is fake. Okay. Sorry. Well, I'm glad that I sorted that out. I was fake losing, news. I was sleep. I was losing sleep. Let me tell you, I was losing. I was losing sleep over. You couldn't even speak. I couldn't. Yeah. I Listen to you. I can't speak normally. Well, let alone now read. I'm babbling. I know it's terrible. I'm babbling incoherently yeah. half the time. But that that is something though with Derek Jeter. How I've got about three uh, three responses to what you just said, but okay. none of them are appropriate for this podcast. Oh, well, so you can tell me later. I will remind lunch. me to, and I will. I will definitely. I'll make a note of. Okay, moving on. I won't make a note. Of you won't. <laughs> so shame on you, Derek Jeter. <laughs> Okay, this is a story that I meant to have available for some of the last episodes, and it completely slipped my mind. Um, so I'm bringing it to light now. Okay. You may have seen this. In uh, Minnesota, back in uh, early June, there was a, uh, a high school playoff baseball game. And the pitcher who was on the mound and the batter who was up to bat at the end of the game have been very, very good friends uh, since they were 13 years old. Um, the high school pitcher was Ty Cohen, uh, and his team advanced to a state championship uh, in Minnesota when he struck out his friend Jack Cocoon, or Cocoon, I'm, I'm butchering names, but it's okay. Anyway, here's what happened. So, so Ty strikes out Jack. Right. Okay, the place goes ballistic because Ty's team just advanced to the state championship. Okay. What does Ty do? He goes and he consoles Jack. 
the first thing he everyone like his entire team's coming out to like dog pile on the mound. Oh yeah, and I he saw this. and he skips by his catcher and goes yeah. right to the kid that he struck out. Yeah, yeah, and gives him a hug. Right, you know, and says and he says later we were very close friends. I knew him all the way back when we were thirteen. We were on the same little league team. It was tough when we went to separate schools, but we kept in touch. Are you? Did we? We didn't talk about this. We did not. Really? I'm maybe, pretty sure we did not. Maybe we just talked about it in person. I think we did. Oh, okay. I think we did. All right. So, so the the I wanted to highlight this as a, as such a beautiful thing, but the other thing too is that the backlash that this received yeah was equally as troubling. Mm-hmm. I was watching as we mentioned this show all the time, High Heat with Christopher Russo and his producer Bruce Shine and they were doing their good job, bad job segment, and Bruce brought brought this up to Chris, and both of them could not stand this. They said they were, quote-unquote, I think, like throwing up in their mouths because of this. And this really bothered me, because they're taking such a... a Why do they have a problem with exactly? it? Exactly. I mean, you're, these are high school kids. What are... You know, see, and I think, I think what the problem is that when they have a problem with something like this, psychologically, they really have a problem within themselves. Mm. And, and it's a shame. It's an absolute shame, because... Uh, some of the quotes that I read on Twitter were kind of the same things, where they're just like, "Our kids aren't man enough these days. We're not teaching them to be tough." Mm-hmm. Blah 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 blah. Right. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know what? I I don't even have the ability to help these people sometimes because only the people who want to be helped are the ones that are going to get helped. Right. And if you if you're not going to see it from that standpoint, I can't I can't waste my time calling you out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just going to do my thing and hopefully that you'll, you'll get the message. Yeah. You know, it's just a shame. Um, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we move on. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's just, in, it's, it's a great story. Um, because you don't see that very often. Right. And it just, um, goes to show you that anyone can make something twist it in a bad way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it just goes to show you, I mean, I think, I think we really need to just take stock in the good things and just look at them for what they are. It's a good act of sportsmanship. And let's look at it this way. Okay. Let's compare what happened to, um, you know, a, a, a major league sport. doesn't matter the sport. Okay. And let's say that this is what happened in, in a major league baseball game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we got a little bit of a different story. These are grown men. These are professionals being paid ridiculous yeah. amounts Salaries of money. at stake. Okay. Reputa- uh, like the they, professional right. reputation. They, they, they have a job as an entertainer mm-hmm. uh, to, for the fans, et cetera. You know, so, so there's a little bit. It's, it's a, you put it under a little bit of a different light. Right. Okay. Um, I would almost understand it more if that was the case here. Mm-hmm. But it's not. These are high school players. And look at it this way. How many times in other sports do... Uh, players eventually come out and shake hands afterwards. Right. So now, okay, so maybe it's not like an like an immediate thing, like the immediate celebration. But in hockey, you know, after after the Stanley Cup champion is crowned, mm-hmm. you know, both teams shake hands. Right. You know, so I don't know what else to tell you. Hmm. It's just it's just a shame, and and I I I congratulate both those guys for their. You know, for for what they did on the field, especially Ty, that was that was very manly of him to say that. You know, consoling my friend and making sure that you know he knew that I value our friendship more than more than the game. 
is 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 really important. Yeah. So we can only hope that people grow up eventually. Yeah. You know. I know I won't. I know neither will I. But that's a completely <laughs> different story. Um, let's 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 jump around a little bit. So here's one that you sent me. Another short, quick one. Mm-hmm. So Fernando Rodney, the closer for the Twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. okay. This this was the last day of the nominal first half of right. the season, uh, right before the All Star break. So. Paul Molitor brings Rodney in in the middle of the game and then takes him out like like a completely unorthodox move. And everyone's kind of like, what, what is going on? Why are you bringing your closer in in the middle of a game instead of the end of the game and, uh, and using it? This, this doesn't make any sense. It's because he had a flight to catch to go to Florida to become a U.S. citizen. So talk about making the best of a situation. Molitor decides, okay, him becoming a U.S. citizen is more important than this baseball game, but I can still use him to help my team win. Mm-hmm. Let's, do, let's, let's do that. Mm-hmm. Bring him in in a crucial spot, let him go, and it's the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. So, so I'd like to give a pat on the back to, to, to both, uh, both of them. Um, for this, because first of all, you know, as I just said, Paul Molitor for realizing the importance of the situation and changing the situation into one that benefits all parties. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing right there. Right. And secondly, a big pat on the back to Fernando Rodney. You know, listen, Rodney kind of rubs me the wrong way as a player sometimes because of the whole shooting arrow thing that he does after he converts a save. It's a little yeah. it's a little played out. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the dude just, you know, it is what it is. OK, but. He did something that I, I really have a lot of respect for, and that's bec- you know doing all the right things to become a member of this great nation the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, he did everything the right way. He was never, you know, you know, he's never here for the wrong reasons. He, you know, he came over the right way. He mm-hmm. he passed all the tests, which is you know in our political climate. You know, there's a lot of controversy about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And rather than get into that and dissect that, I just I would rather just pat him on the back and say, you know, welcome aboard. Mm-hmm. You know, what a great job you did doing all the right stuff. Yeah. You know, so so kudos to both of them mm-hmm. for that. Um, let's see here. OK, here's one. It's a little a little quick as well before we get into some of the heavy hitters. So you and I watched the Home Run Derby. Yes. At, at the bar that night. Yes. Okay. And Bryce Harper obviously won. Exactly. Okay. Yep. I remember that. Now, the guy who was pitching to Bryce Harper, I don't think we realized this till afterwards because the sound was down at the bar, was his dad. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, the, the final matchup was Bryce Harper from the Nationals and Kyle Schwarber from the Cubs. There are Cubs fans out there who are claiming that Bryce Harper cheated in the home run derby because the rules state. Oh, yeah, I heard about this. Okay, that when a when a player hits a ball, okay, the pitcher cannot deliver the next pitch until the ball either hits the ground or hits 
you know, a glove of someone who's shagging the balls that don't go out mm-hmm. or lands in, in the, you know, beyond the, the wall for a home run. Right. And there are umpires, the minor league umpires who were selected to work the Futures game also work the home run derby. That determine that? Exactly. And what they do is they have, they have like two or three stationed in the outfield to, to check to make sure that they go out. Okay, and there's one behind the plate who works with the director of of the show, you know, for television purposes, mm-hmm. you know, and basically you can see him every time a uh, a ball is hit, the umpire puts his hand up and waits and waits and waits, and as soon as they're ready, he points at the pitcher. It's basically standard standard signals for mm-hmm. do not pitch, pitch, mm-hmm. you know. Is that what it is in a traditional game? Exactly, game? exactly. It's okay. basically if an umpire has his hand up, the ball is dead. And no, you can't pitch. Mm-hmm. And then when he's ready to put the ball back in play and, and say that to the pitcher you're allowed to pitch, he points at him. Okay. You know, and if there's going to be a verbal uh, signal with it, it's either, there's usually nothing for the hand, the hand up, but then when he points, he'll say play. Okay. So that's all it is. Okay. Well, Harper's dad apparently blew through some of these stop signs, so to speak. Did he, did he really? That's, if you go back and you watch the, um, the tape, mm-hmm. he did. I'm going to, I'm going to be completely honest. He did. Okay. Okay. Um, the article here that I'm that I'm reading is by Tim Bannon of the Chicago Tribune, and uh, you know basically his uh, you know his point is yeah maybe he did maybe he didn't you know you know not really gonna take one side or the other but his final point is that what they did was gamesmanship sports is entertainment and this is an exhibition that was just a sideshow and a pretty good one at that you know. Um, if you if you happen to wager on the Derby, then maybe this would be a bigger story, right? And adhering to the rules could become a bigger issue for Major League Baseball if the league gets more involved in sports gambling. But but Schwarber took the defeat with class and said he thought it was fun and he hoped everyone else had a fun time. That's all he said, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not like he was refuting exactly, it. exactly. I think. It's it's more ceremonial at this point. Right. Why would you refute something that's supposed to just be I mean there's no there's no consequence. No. No. What are you going to get? What are you going to lose? A little bit of money? You know, you're already being compensated pretty well for being there. Right. You know. So if you, if it's the, between that and getting a trophy that's really bugging you, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Um by the letter of the law was it an issue? Maybe. You know, just like the just like the Derek Jeter thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, people thought that that was an issue with with Schwarber and, and Harper and whatnot. And, you know, I guess in and of itself, it can be if you're looking at it from a purely ethical point of view. Right. Um, but since the outcome is is not really of any consequence, it's sort of a wash. Right. In a way. Right. I mean, I don't. You're not talking about an actual Major League Baseball game. Right. You're talking about an exhibition that is basically a show for the fans. Right. And, you know, I mean, I guess internally, I guess there are a lot of different factors at play. Like, if it's a bunch of kids playing stickball and there's no consequence for winning or losing, but they're kids... It might be a little bit of actually a bigger deal because right. it's a lesson they need to learn right. about That's winning, a good point. Versus, winning versus losing. But right. these are adults. I mean, they know what they're doing. Right. And if 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 Bryce Harper's dad blew through some of those stop signs, 
maybe he was just excited. Could maybe, be. Maybe it was the adrenaline. And you, you I mean, there, there, there's so many different intervening variables that could affect. And let me throw this at you, too. Yeah. You and I watched this, and I made the comment then, too. I didn't even notice it. Bryce Harper's dad could not find the strike zone yeah. in that last round. Right. You, I said it to you. I said, I didn't know at the time it was his dad. And I said, this pitcher's getting tired or mm-hmm. he's getting anxious or something because he was not throwing pitches that Harper was going to swing at. Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk about blowing through the, the stop signs, okay, now the, the you know, let's, I mean, it kind of equals out right. because he was terrible as yeah. a pitcher for, for a chunk of that time, too. Yeah. So again, that doesn't necessarily make it right, but it just kind of shows you it that this. It smooths it out a little. Exactly. This whole thing is just for show. Right. You know, so. It is what it is. Yeah. Let's get into some some our final three stories, which are kind of heavy. Okay. All right. First of all, a uh, little good sportsmanship. Aaron Boone, who, as we all know, is the manager of the Yankees and who doesn't sit well with some of us sometimes, <laughs> teaches the Yankees accountability by saying sorry. Oh. Okay. Okay. The 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 series that the Yankees had before the All Star break was in Cleveland. The Yankees were playing the Indians, okay? And in, I believe it was the first game of the series, second game of the I think it was the second game of the series. I think it was the Friday night game. Boone got ejected for uh, arguing about a, a check swing that, and I think it was a hit by pitch and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. Anyway, he, he, was, he went ballistic and umpire Jerry Meals ejected him. You know what he did the next day? He publicly apologized. He said, you, know, you asked me, I want us to be accountable and honest about things. So when I'm asked about it, I think it's important to say. I was pretty hot with them last night, and they got it right. So, so he, he went back and did the right thing and said, you know, he looked at the tape, realized he was wrong, and apologized. How often does that happen? Hmm. You know? Um, and I think what's interesting about that is that just last October when the Yankees were in Cleveland was when Joe Girardi, then manager of the Yankees, had that issue with the replay that almost cost him the series and his job. And then ended up, you know, he lost his job anyway. Mm-hmm. But you might remember that foul tip that Gary Sanchez was saying, challenge, challenge, challenge. Yeah. And he never did. And they ended up losing that game and whatnot. So they were comparing that because Girardi never said anything like never apologized right after that he was talking about the flow of the game and you know just coming up with all these different uh excuses and it wasn't until the next day that uh he also apologized he said i screwed up you know and and basically tried to you know make it you know make it right but he still you know just there was there wasn't that same level of remorse from girardi that there was from Boone in this situation. Now, maybe because the stakes were higher at that point, yeah. you know, playoffs versus versus regular season. And also, I think, you know, we talk about the personalities of the two managers. You know, if you analyze that, Girardi was clearly let go by the Yankees because he did not have that warm and fuzzy feeling that they were looking for to have with some of the younger players, which in itself is another issue that we can discuss ad nauseum at a different time. Right. Um, but... Boone clearly does have that, and that's why he was brought on board. Um, so it, it's just interesting to see that you know they're comparing the two apologies, and 
and really giving a lot of credit to Boone for the, for what he did versus Girardi and just you know just you know the differences between the two. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that we can put the Girardi thing behind us because it was farther in the past. He ended up apologizing. The Yankees ended up winning the series, and he ended up losing his job for the wrong reason. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of apples and oranges to a certain degree. Right. So instead of doing that, I'd like to praise Boone here, which I normally don't do, you know, and say, that's a great job there. You know, the umpires got it right, and he the first thing he did is came out and said, I'm sorry. So that's the right move. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him, you know. Um, Hopefully, others take that as a as an example. You would hope, you know, and especially since baseball is moving in this way, where where the younger managers who don't necessarily have the experience experience are getting the jobs, so maybe they can learn from that. You're not, you know, you're you're kind of moving away from the the world of the uh, old timey managers who. Uh, refuse to show any sort of vulnerability or admit they're wrong, you know, always mm-hmm. putting the macho front on, all that stuff. So so maybe this is something that gets kind of tiring. Exactly. <laughs> let's see, let's see what happens. Yeah. You know? We'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, here's one that just came across my desk today. So earlier this week, the Houston Astros were playing an interleague series in Colorado. They had a two game series against the Rockies. So Oh yeah, the Astros are um, are now an American, American League, League team. team. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we forget that. So I know, <laughs> you know. So this happened on Wednesday. Uh, Astros third baseman Alex Bregman fell victim to a replay review that ultimately turned what was a triple into an out. So what happened is he hit a ball that was not going to be a home run. It's going to be a wall scraper at best. The outfielder, who was Gerardo Parra, went back, jumped to catch the ball. Ball was clearly didn't was not going over the wall. Okay. Missed it. But the replay clearly shows that a fan's glove was out over the was fence. Was this in right field? Was this uh, the one in right field I, I, where he, and the did he fall over the um the, was this the one where the fan fell over the? Uh... No, no, this was a different. One. Okay. So, so the fan's glove is over the fence. Okay. Clearly reaching into the field of play to try and catch this ball. Yeah. Okay. Well, the fan doesn't catch the ball. Para doesn't catch the ball. Ball lands. Bregman is on third. Umpires at the time rule it in play. And say, you know, let the play continue. So, Rockies manager Bud Black goes out to talk. And ultimately gets a, a challenge, um, and uh, they went to the replay officials in New York to look at it, mm-hmm. and they decided to call Bregman out for fan interference. So even though he didn't, even though he didn't catch the ball, okay. The ruling is, if I just find here, okay. By definition, spectator interference occurs when a spectator or an object thrown by the spectator hinders a player's attempt to make a play on a live ball by going onto the playing field or reaching out of the stands and over the playing field. Regardless of whether they touch the ball. Correct. Like because okay. because in the in the view of the replay official, the mm-hmm. rule was violated. The player, you know, there was there was an attempt made by both the player and a fan who was reaching over into live ball territory, right. okay? 
uh, and pursuant to Rule 601E, when there is spectator interference with any thrown or batted ball, the ball should be dead at the moment of interference, and the umpire shall impose such penalties as, in his opinion, will nullify the act of interference. Furthermore, an approved ruling states, if spectator interference clearly prevents a fielder from catching a fly ball, the umpire shall declare the batter out. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I'm going to read to you Alex Bregman's post-game comments. Okay? And here they go. And I'm going to censor what I have to censor. Okay. It was an effing joke, and they should be effing ashamed of themselves. Obviously, the guy, referring to the replay official, has never played effing baseball before in his life, the guy in charge of whoever made that decision. There is no possible way you can say that a left fielder jumping backwards into a wall is guaranteed to make a catch. It changed the whole effing game. We're up 2-1 at the time. I'm at third base. We need a fly ball in the outfield to get me in, and it's 3-1. It's effing horrible. Uh, Said Para... Quote, I never saw the fan touch the ball until I saw the replay, but I feel I would have had that ball. So, for what for the, what that's worth. Okay. Um, apparently, and oh, and as as a as an aside, um, we had a similar situation uh, occur in Colorado this year, where what they ended up doing is not calling it interference because the fan who uh, was basically, uh, quote-unquote, interfering, never reached into live ball territory, okay? Spectator interference does not occur if the fan is not reaching into territory. He, you know, if, he's well, if he's beyond the wall and a fielder goes in to try and catch a ball, it's well within the spectator's rights to try and get that ball. So there's no spectator interference in that case. What's the call then? If 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 someone hits what what's going to be a home run, right, and the fan catches it beyond the wall, and the and the player might have had a chance to go above and beyond yeah. the wall, home run. Wow. Yeah, that's the letter of the law. Okay. Okay. Um. So Gil, our good friend, did the following fact fact check. The claim by Bregman was that there's no possible way a left fielder jumping backwards into a wall is guaranteed to make that catch. This statement is factually true. There is no way that such a catch is guaranteed. Rules-wise, the claim, this claim is as false as most of George Washington's teeth. <laughs> Rule 601E states that if interference clearly prevents a fielder from catching a fly ball, the batter is out. Bregman's statement, is guaranteed, which is, quote, to, is guaranteed to make a catch, is one, a much higher standard, and two, not in the rule book. Neither the words guaranteed or guarantee appear anywhere in the official baseball rule book. Mm-hmm. So while Bregman is correct that if a catch is, that the catch is not guaranteed, the rules don't require this level of strict scrutiny in order to declare the batter out. If, the catch is, if a catch is clearly prevented, it's an out. To be clear, this is not an ordinary effort situation either. Spectator interference only concerns itself with whether the interfering act clearly prevents a fielder from catching a fly ball. How many times, and this is from Gill himself, how many times has a player, coach, or manager said something about an official that makes you want to respond and correct the plethora of inaccuracies that have just (laughs) spewed forth? 
The spectator interference rule inaccuracy notwithstanding, Bregman made it personal by stating, quote, obviously this guy in charge has never played effing baseball before in his life. So let's entertain that statement. According to scheduling and stats scout Russ, who works for, for them and who gives all this information, Brian Gorman and Gary Cedarstrom's crews are in replay this week. Gorman, well, we all note that Tom Gorman, uh, who's, who was a former baseball umpire and how Brian grew up with baseball, okay? And Cedarstrom actually lettered in baseball for the uh, Minot State College Beavers, so he played college baseball. Mm. As for senior director of instant replay Justin Clem... Uh, there was an interview revealed that Clem played ball at Temple before starting his minor league umpiring career. So, uh, right there, he was, Bregman was proven wrong that these umpires and everyone there has played baseball before. Okay. Um, thus, as for Bregman's claim that an outfielder jumping backwards into a wall lessens the likelihood of a catch... Bregman is an infielder who has played a total of 3.2 innings in the outfield over the course of his three-year career, which means that 3.2 innings in a major league outfield may or may not be enough experience to determine what a career outfielder like Para is and is not capable of. Uh, That's great. It's just another <laughs> example of scapegoating umpires. Mm -hmm. It's just ridiculous. It's, you know, you know what? And here's the thing, too. Athletes all are going to be in the heat of the moment. They're all going to have their emotions high, okay? Which is why when I'm playing baseball or something like that or I'm coaching, if a kid is upset, as long as he's not yelling at an umpire or doing anything demonstrative like that, you give him 30 seconds to kind of, you know, let it go. Then after that, it's time to move on. So if Bregman was asked about this literally 30 seconds after it happened, I'd be okay with what he said. Mm -hmm. He waited until the post-game press conference to do it. You yeah. had plenty of time right. to let it go. Cool down. Yeah. So, unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. No. So. Final story of the day. Okay. Okay. Coaching controversy strikes Andover Little League. This is in Andover, Massachusetts, okay? Basically, what happened is that in Andover Little League, a coach who was also the league's president, whose name is Adam Beck. Um, Wait, a manager who's also... He, he's, he's the league president mm -hmm. of Andover Little League, and he's also a coach in the league. Well, that sits well with me. Oh, uh, normally doesn't. But unfortunately, sometimes that kind of stuff has to happen if you don't have enough volunteers. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've seen that happen that's a where... big conflict of interest. Well, believe me, that's that's something that most leagues try and prevent. Right. If you happen to hold some sort of major uh, position within the league, even... It's like a, Joe Torre, you know, being in charge of the umpire. Exactly. Exactly. If you hold, you know, if you hold a major position in the league, you're not actually going to be a coach in the league too, or, or a manager. You might be able to coach. Like I've seen that before where guy who, who runs a certain league might be an assistant coach on his son's team, which is completely legitimate. I think, mm. you know, that's, that's kind of like, you know, you need volunteers you need guys who know the game, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like the, the, the guy is in charge of the team, you know? So I, I would let that, fly okay according to this story by kelsey bode um from the andover townsman two former members of the league's board of directors 
including one assigned to resolve issues concerning players, confirmed that the league fielded complaints about Beck's language when some players refused to enter a batting cage because the pitching machine was set to its maximum speed of 70 miles per hour. So they then complained to two board members uh, who... Can, well, I'm sorry, say yeah. that again? Okay, so here, let me break it down for you. That's, okay. that's my street talk. I'm bad at listening, so... Makes sense. Yeah. So what I think happened was the coach was trying to simulate uh, a very fast Little League pitcher. Because in my experience, I sound like Tim McCarver now, in my My view, um, when you get to this, like... Little League level of 12-year-olds as they're all trying to, you know, advance to the Little League World Series and whatnot, you start to get these kids who are a little mature for the 12-year-old level who are throwing heat. And the distance from the mound to the plate is only 46 feet, okay? So imagine a 12-year-old kid who is starting to grow into his body and into the teenage years. That's about the width of... No, maybe it's a little bit longer. Than... Yeah, from, from that wall to that wall. Yeah. yeah. It's... I mean, and it com- and because of the, of, the, of the length of that, you know, what might be a 60-mile-an-hour fastball appears much faster, mm-hmm. you know? So what, what this coach is trying to do is trying to get these kids prepared for that. All right, and I think what happened was the kids refused to get in because they were scared, and the coach I think used derogatory terms, or that's the allegation towards the kids. towards the kids saying you know basically the 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 R and X rated versions of calling them wimps, you know, for for not getting in and not they didn't have to swing they he just wanted them to stand Their there and own see coach yeah, so so what happened. The former directors of the of the board, Josh Entner and Jason uh, Piscatelli, who 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 uh, heard the complaints, ended up resigning from the board over this. Uh, Beck ended up remaining both the league president and the coach, whereas the other guys who were not involved resigned. What? And, yeah. Allow me to explain. Okay. Entner said players were never in danger in the batting cage, and he thought the whole issue had been addressed and resolved until things boiled over late last month. Quote, my interpretation was that it was over. I I don't know what happened. I was comfortable that the players were safe based on the feedback I got. Assistant coaches were monitoring the situation and still, still were at the end of the season and reported back to me. We were keeping an eye on it. Um, there are other... Let me see if I can, how I want to do this. All right. I'm going to give you the whole timeline here because that was kind of just the introduction. All right. This controversy in Andover comes on the heels of two other high-profile incidents involving coaches within the town. Okay. Over the winter, the veteran coach at Andover High School for the varsity baseball team was the target of player complaints. Um, however, separate investigations cleared both him and his assistant coach. Uh, in another case, uh, E.J. Perry, who was the high school's uh, boys' volleyball coach, was also the target of complaints. Um, 
using inappropriate language around players. He also remained in his position after investigation. Uh, according to a separate article, which was... There is no... Here it is, Dave Copeland's uh, article for the Andover patch. Uh, E.J. Perry uh, was placed on administrative leave based on uh, original credible enough allegations into his coaching practices. What happened was that there was a match on April 11th where a senior refused to leave the court after Perry tried to substitute another kid in for him. And after the match, Perry stripped both players of their captaincy. Captaincy? Yeah, basically he tried to replace one captain. I've never with, heard that word before. Well, it's a word. Huh. Both players were captains, and he decided to strip them both of their captaincy because one player would not leave for the other one. Wait, uh, why, wait, 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 wait. Why, was, why were both stripped? Well, that's a good question. You know? Anyway. I guess, you know, it just means that another piece of the puzzle is in place. Right. And, the, and, 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 and as a... As an aside, these stories are basically just setting the groundwork of what's going on in Andover. They really have nothing to do with this Little League story. Okay. Okay? Um, it's more about the fact that there are that this, this, this town has a major issue with parents raising concerns over coaching practices and comments. Um, I mean, are they legitimate grievances that these parents I mean I'm assuming they're legitimate grievance grievances these parents have against the coach well in in the in these in this in the situation with the the two high school things that I just mentioned I'm sure that they are legitimate and in the volleyball case the dude was placed on administrative leave while they investigated right you know he was cleared and he was allowed to return to his job uh, and the same thing happened without the administrative leave for the baseball coaches um, I just you know we, you know we talk about that fine line between um, what is good coaching and what's bad coaching and, you know, where are coaches supposed to motivate their kids and whatnot? What mm -hmm. can they say? What can't they say? And it's pretty clear what they can and cannot say. The difference is that, you know, when you're dealing with men, okay, you're trying to, men try, especially when there's an adult male and teenage males, uh, with kids, it's completely different. But with teenagers around the high school level who are kind of in that in-between phase, you're trying to relate to them in a certain way. Um, you're, tr you know, you try and, and, and allow them to feel a little grown up by using certain types of language, as long as it doesn't directly affect or is referring to the kids, mm -hmm. you know, you and I, like, listen, you and I will, will know this in the music world. Like if I'm, if I'm running a, a, a music group, like when I was, when I was running a college jazz ensemble, okay. Um, you know, I might drop some curse words now and then when I'm not referring to the kids themselves, mm -hmm. okay? Which is something that I have done before and, and you know, try and, and paid the price for it. You know, I did, I did backtrack my steps. I realized, you know, much, much earlier, I was like, well, I shouldn't have done that. You know, just frustration comes out and you, mm -hmm. you, you learn from it and you move on. But you, you, you go on and you say, you know, listen, you know, you, you, you say this, you know, man, this, this stuff is, you know, instead of stuff, I'm using a different S word right. is hard. You know, mm -hmm. you know, you can say that around kids, mm -hmm. you know, who are in college, they're over 18, they're adults, right. you know, yeah. there's a certain bonding that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And I think you're really stuck in that gray area. Um, with, with this. And I think, and that's why you have to, you have to be careful because 
you, you you almost have to have a little bit of leniency in today's day and age with some of this stuff when it comes to the certain words that are used around teenagers and older kids. Um, well, as I said, with not to interrupt, no, go ahead. as I said with um, last podcast, um, and this is from one of Lewis Black's uh, stand-up routines, there's no such thing as bad language. Exactly. You know, you're... you're Actually, studies have prove, proven that people who curse more are more honest. Right. You know, and it's just because, you know, to curse or to, you know, say something that might be inappropriate for kids. But if it's amongst adults, I feel like it makes you more human. I agree. Way, I more agree. relatable. Yeah. Which is I sort of, you know, sort of in li- along the lines of what you're saying, you know, when you were with your with your kids in your jazz band right. or with the college kids. I mean, yeah, four letter words are going to come out every so often. Right. But I mean, they say it too. Yeah, exactly. It's no secret. Right. And it's not like you're looking right at the kid who, whether he's 18, 15, whatever, and pointing your finger in his face and calling him one of these right. names. That's that's, that's like different. Completely different. Exactly. Exactly. So I think... You shouldn't do that to anyone. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so in my opinion, what happened here with, with at least like with the baseball situation... You know, the volleyball situation is different because it involved kids not coming off and the, the, the field and blah, 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 blah. In the baseball situation, we don't know the specifics of it, but if that's all it was, now we have a little bit more of a gray area. And if you're going to apologize and try and do better and whatnot, you know, sometimes that's all you can ask for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, moving back to the Little League. Um, and the batting cage. And the batting cage. Okay. Okay. Uh, Entner, the former Andover Little League vice president and player agent after he had resigned, uh, who was one of several board members to resign, confirmed that an incident was reported this spring between two players and Beck. According to Entner, Beck turned up the speed of the batting machine, but the boys refused to enter the cage because they felt unsafe. The boys were wearing batting helmets, though. Quote, Adam was trying to to simulate the pitching of a pitcher who throws the ball around 70 miles an hour. That's a rough number. Adam decided to go to a controlled environment and let the kids simulate what it would be like. The kids were never in danger in the batting cage. Um, unlike a human pitcher, the machine always throws the ball straight. I wouldn't, And I think always is still kind of a, of a rough term to use there mm-hmm. because the technology is not perfect, but it is a more controlled environment. The, mm-hmm. the probability of a, of a pitch leaving a batting machine um, going in a way that could hit a kid is very small. I mean, Could, if anything, the, wouldn't the wouldn't the um, disparity be in height? Yes, not not width. Not width. You're you're probably looking at a difference in vertical rather than horizontal. So so the kids are are in reasonably safe conditions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Entner said he could not confirm what Beck said specifically, but Entner said he did receive a complaint from parents. As the player agent, it was Entner's role to resolve any issues that arose during the season. Entner said he was able to work out a compromise between Beck and the parents of the boys. The parents sat in the dugout at each game for the rest of the season and observed Beck's coaching. Two assistant coaches also monitored the situation and reported back to Entner. Beck also took an online sensitivity training class, though parents were not made aware of that at the time. Uh, quote, Adam's behavior was fantastic after that, not that it wasn't before. Entner said the issue didn't come up again for about a month after that. Then, after the spring season was over, about a dozen parents informed the Little League that they didn't want their children playing on Beck's summer league team. 
their children were instead assigned to Entner Summer League team. Entner claims the majority of those players had never actually played for Beck. Quote, this thing has taken on a life of its own and has certainly affected the Little League experience for everyone involved. Former Little League umpire-in-chief Jason Piscatelli, who has also resigned from the board, said he was playing catch with his son at the fields that day of the batting practice in question. He wasn't aware of what was happening until later when parents approached him and other members of the board asking what had happened. Piscatelli said he wished the board had addressed the encounter publicly as parents were discussing it and wanted answers. He decided to send a text message to Beck to ask what happened. Quote, I specifically asked him, could you call me and help me understand what happened with the situation? And then Adam asked, quote, what situation? He was denying that there was a situation. Piscatelli said when he clarified that he wasn't asking about what happened at the batting cage, uh, that he was asking about what happened at the batting cage, Beck said there wasn't a situation. Quote, I believe the exact wording was that, quote, the parents are on a witch hunt and there was nothing to talk about. Adam didn't want to talk to anybody about the situation that happened, which was concerning. Piscatelli added, I'm not a threat to Adam. I'm a friend and I hope he considers me a friend. I was just approaching him so I could understand what happened so I could project that to parents asking questions. Piscatelli then said he approached Beck to discuss what happened and when he and he refused. Piscatelli uh, then asked that his son be assigned to a different team. Quote from Piscatelli, he didn't want to take ownership of the situation. He didn't want to be humbled by his actions or say sorry. There was nothing going on on his end that led me to believe my son should be on any team with him. I never saw Adam as being a bad coach, as any type of threat to any children, but with this situation, it was so obvious something went on that it bothered me. So basically, Piscatelli saying, listen, I'm trying to defuse the situation. Talk to me about it. What's going on? And when Beck went on the defensive and refused to admit anything happened, that's when it was enough for Piscatelli to say, you know what? I'd rather have my son play on a different team then, which is well within his right. Mm -hmm. Okay? Um says here, parents met with the board of directors to discuss Beck's coaching practices. Uh, earlier this month, uh, the Andover Townsman, which is the, art, the, the paper where we got this article, received an unsigned statement purporting to be from parents who sought Beck's reprimand for the batting cage incident. According to the statement, the parents also wanted the board to clarify Andover Little League's policies regarding player safety and emotional well-being. Uh, other parents and board members talked off the record or made emails available to the Townsman regarding the incident. Piscatelli said he was embarrassed by the way the meeting unfolded where they met about this. Mm -hmm. Quote, there were many antics that happened at the board meeting that were unbecoming of the way a board should conduct themselves. We heard in detail exactly what happened. The rest of the parents were there for nothing more than to show there's a pattern of this type of activity that Adam displays. I was very surprised to see there were so many other complaints that showed a similar pattern of inappropriate behavior with the kids. Piscatelli said he was, quote, totally embarrassed about being a board member after watching Adam address the parents who had complained. Quote, he didn't even answer to any of the grievances parents had with their sons. He went on the attack. He singled out maybe 10 different people in the public audience that had come forward and publicly embarrassed each one of those people by stating that they had, tr uh, they had trouble in the past with the league. It was obvious to me at that point the battle was between him personally and the parents in general. Um, the board then asked parents for time to digest the information shared at the meeting. A conference call was, was planned for the following Sunday, so this would have been about three days after this meeting. When the board members postponed the meeting, 
Piscatelli decided the board was so dysfunctional that he no longer wanted to serve as a member, despite the fact that he enjoyed volunteering. So he resigned. Quote, we made a decision to have the meeting that Sunday. To suddenly change it didn't settle well with me. It just further solidified to me that the board was dysfunctional and this was not heading in the right direction. Uh, the board did gather again the next day, but what had happened during that meeting remains a mystery. According to Entner, the board met on the field. Police arrived and asked them to turn the lights out. So Entner said that after that, the group scattered. No vote had been taken on how to handle the, the situation. Entner then stepped down from the board the next day. After Entner and Piscatelli left the board, several others stepped down as well. Said Entner, quote, I'm glad to no longer be a part of this. All I want is the facts to come forward. All I care about is that these kids have a good experience and enjoy themselves on the field. When I felt like all the politics was too much for me to take, I resigned so I could focus on the kids. So ultimately with this story, which I know was a lot to digest. It's like a soap opera. Yeah, yeah. You, you basically had a, a coach finally getting called out for his behavior and bitch by the way i'm sure there were many more instances that that were not reported that yeah were not reported right and and what does he do he just goes on the defensive and then on the attack and it just, just makes it worse exactly um you should take aaron boone's example yeah Say, yeah i'm sorry exactly <laughs> exactly but uh we all know that that won't happen no i i just i feel bad too because um, this happens everywhere and it doesn't get reported as much and kids suffer. And some people think that they have to go through this in order to have, you know, any type of athletic experience and whatnot. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what else to do other than just say good for the league for finally stopping it right. as best they can. But mm -hmm. it sounds like the league didn't come to terms with it as best as it, they possibly could they, yeah, didn't, they didn't remove him as a coach and it wasn't yeah it wasn't a good turnout because so many people from the board it wasn't a good situation at all right really i mean because so many people from the board resigned exactly it wasn't the best conclusion right um so many things so many instances of bad sportsmanship go unreported not unlike you know what you would find in an, in an abusive relationship right. or other statistics that that are reported and um, you know the category of unsport of un, unsportsmanlike conduct it goes beyond sports you know it yeah. could go beyond any any ish, any any situation in which you find um, some sort of contest right. or between two parties um it's just unfortunate that you know stuff like this goes unreported right i agree and and only the worst of it really comes out you know yeah and you gotta wonder like this guy this this little league coach who's in a position where you're sort of a mentor to these kids where it's it's really really sad well, that that you have this where where these instances happen that go unreported. Right. Well, you just said it yourself. You know, this instance in itself probably would not have been reported had the 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 reporter and the newspaper not been tipped off by that anonymous note. Right. 
you know, from from the parents. Mm-hmm. If if that wasn't sent, this would have never even been on the show. Right. You know. I feel like more of this needs to happen in order for there to be an inkling yeah. of some sort of me- like message to say, hey, look, you know. We're not gonna we're not gonna be quiet about this anymore. Yeah. Like this is this is this is really bad. There's a there's an element of it that kind of relates to when we were talking about the umpire scapegoating and whatnot, where it's really about people having a problem with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um there's 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 a there's an issue where they're not happy with who they are or a part of themselves or anything like that. And subconsciously, they refuse to let it surface. They refuse mm-hmm. to address it. And it manifests itself as these types of issues, as these types of conflicts where people point out um, the faults of others to make themselves feel good, right. you know, or, or do things or say things that are inappropriate. The what about this argument. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, in order to, you know, drive the topic away mm-hmm. from that. Um, you know, you, you you wonder what it would be like if people had the ability to at least, you know, say, this isn't about me, you know, what I said to you. This is about what what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that... And how you can rectify it. Yeah. yeah. That's the most important thing is you got to, like, again, one of the first steps in realizing in fixing something is realizing there's a problem with it to right. begin with. Right. And instead of realizing that, hey, maybe what I'm doing is not the best thing, um, these people just go on the defensive and, and, and just reflect the blame on others. Exactly. Making it worse exactly. for everyone. Exactly. Exactly, and and just look at what has happened to this league now. Mm-hmm. You know the 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 people, the casualty. Exactly. Is, the the fact of the matter is that that league is probably now being run by the asylum, the inmates in the asylum. Mm-hmm. You know the 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 people who had any sort of heart are gone mm-hmm. because they don't want to be associated with it anymore. Right. Rather than them stepping up and saying no, this is not how it should be. The, the just the bad people are left. Mm-hmm. So. It would not surprise me in the least to see that organization crumble at some point soon, in some way, shape, or form. Or, you know, whether it be more symbolic, whether it be, you know, I don't think that they're going to go under and they're not going to lose their charter, but you're going to see But a, I think it's something that needs to happen. Right. You're going to see a dip in, in kids it, coming out to play baseball. It, it you're going to see. It needs to happen for people to realize there's a problem. Right. And for right. them to realize how to fix it. Or for something something equivalent to happen where, mm-hmm. you know, this this guy, Adam Beck, gets arrested for something and then he can't coach anymore. Right. Because if there's no consequence now. Right. When is it going to happen? And, yeah. what's, and what's it going to stop? Exactly. And, you know, yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting situation. Yeah. It's an unfortunate situation, but it's one worth monitoring and discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's all I got. Okay, I think we had another good episode. Excellent. You know, so um, we thank everybody for joining us. Once again, please, please, please contact the show. Send in your stories of good or bad sportsmanship that you'd like us to discuss. We'd love to get involved. You know, we might even have you on the show if, yep. you know, if, if possible. And we travel. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. We both know how to drive. Yeah. Yeah. Amazingly. Uh, well, we can barely read, so. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> the signs are in English. We should be able to understand them. Yeah. But no. 
where you have to look for the color coding lights. Yeah. It's actually something funny. Quick final thing. Tom Ridge, former governor of Pennsylvania and uh, secretary of Homeland Security. Oh, who came up with the color system. Exactly. Yeah. He, he spoke at my college graduation. Did he really? And, and oh, one of his gosh. first jokes was about how he loved traffic lights because <laughs> they were color coded. <laughs> so anyway, anyway. So yeah, contact the show. Get in touch with us. Uh, be sure to email us, podcast at osipfoundation.org, facebook.com slash osipfoundation, Twitter at osipfoundation, hashtag how you play the game. Go on the website at osipfoundation.org. Send us your stories. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Review us. Give us lots of stars. Tell your friends. Hide your kids. Hide your wives. Hide your hu- Okay, that's a little bed intruder, Antoine Dodson. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, Sean, thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everybody for joining us. We'll see you all in about two weeks or so, and until then, treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the OSIP Foundation, Incorporated. The producer-engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. Music by SoundSpring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osipfoundation.org. interested in advertising on how you play the game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org.